turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 within God's Word this morning. Philippians chapter 2 within God's Word as we begin a brand new message series here at Lakeside. Make sure you don't miss Tim Delina next week, Sunday morning. He is a powerful blessing. You've heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. He's the pastor of that church a powerful church in, in Brooklyn, New York, and you will be blessed. Tim Delina all day with us next Sunday. A young couple was on their honeymoon. They were in the honeymoon suite, and she was sitting in the bedroom on the edge of the bed, nervously awaiting the arrival of her groom. Her groom was sitting on the edge of the bathtub in the bathroom, and they were both scared to death because they had both hidden secrets from each other all through their dating, all through their courting. He sat there on the edge of the bathtub, and he said, How am I going to tell her? How am I going to tell her? How am I going to tell her? Throughout the whole dating and courting time, I never told her that my feet stink and my socks smell. I was able to hide it with foot powder during the dating, but now, now that she's living with me, she's going to find out. She was sitting on the edge of the bed. She was worried to death about her bad breath. She said, I was able to flavor it. I was able to season it. I was able to perfume it throughout the dating, but now, now, when we wake up every morning, when we go to bed each night, he's going to smell my bad breath. Nervously, he closed the door of the bathroom and came into the bedroom, sat on the edge of the bed, put his arm around her, and drew her face close to his, nose to nose, eye to eye, and he said, Honey, I have to tell you something. I have to confess something to you. She looked at him and breathlessly whispered into his face, there's something I've got to confess to you too. He said, oh no, you've been eating my socks. <laughs> You've been eating my socks. I think, I think the, the, the students, the young people are laughing at us right now, but one, your day is going to come. It's going to come. Look out for those smelly socks. The days ahead, I want to share a brand new series, a brand new series with you, Lifetime Lovers, Lifetime Lovers. And uh, don't check out on me. We'll be talking, yes, about marriage, but also about family, parenting. And we're going to be talking about our most significant love relationship of all. Our love re relationship with the lover of our soul, Jesus. Jesus. Please look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 with us this morning. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now look at verse 7. Would you circle a very important word in this sentence? Verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of what? A servant. A servant. Being made in human likeness. This morning, I share a word with you I've entitled, Lifetime Lovers, Part 1, Servant Love. Servant Love. Father, in the name of Jesus, Grant us ears that we might hear and hearts that we might receive what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's look at love's greatest example. I can imagine that the first Lord's Supper, we know it as the Last Supper, I can imagine it being filled with High expectations. What had just happened that week? Just that week, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And what were the people doing? They were waving palm branches. They were throwing their coats and robes down before Jesus. They were crying out, The Messiah is here. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was the expectation of the disciples that uh, Jesus was going to kick out the Romans. Jesus, as the Messiah, would now be king of kings, and they would be kings themselves serving with the king of kings. It was their expectation that they would be ruling and reigning with Jesus. So I submit to you that first Lord's Supper in the upper room. It was filled with high expectation. <laughs> they were nudging one another. Who's going to be the greatest king among us as we serve the king of kings? Would you agree with me? Marriage starts out with a lot of high expectations. I'm amused at times when I sit down with uh, couples entering their first year of marriage. I'm amused as I listen to them in respect to their expectations. Many men, would you agree with me, enter marriage with the expectations of what their wife can do for them, what their wife can be to them. He may expect his wife to cook his food, wash his clothes, clean the house, uh, mend his socks, uh, give birth to his children, and make the bedroom come alive. Many women enter marriage with high expectations of what their husband can do for them. They expect him to be the big breadwinner. They expect him to be Mr. Paycheck so they can go to Macy's and go, charge! They expect him to hang on every word that comes out of their mouth with rapt attention. 
laser-like focus, high-level, accurate empathy, understanding down to the very heart, their feelings, and their most uh, high or low emotions. A listener, a conversationalist, an encourager. In fact, he should listen to me so well that before my mouth even opens up, Pastor, he just ought to know what's on my mind and on my heart. Expectations. 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 Ministering to couples with uh, expectations, high expectations of what the other can do for them reminds me of uh, two ticks, two ticks on a dog. What is a tick's relationship to a dog? What is a tick's relationship to a dog? A tick is a parasite. A tick feeds off of a dog. A tick views a dog as what that dog can do for it. A tick is a, a taker and not a giver. A tick is a bloodsucker. Now what happens in a home when you have two bloodsucking ticks? Two ticks that approach the home relationship based on what you can do for me, what you can be to me. What happens when we have two blood-sucking ticks in a home and we don't have any dog? <laughs> You've got fireworks. That's just what happened at the first Lord's Supper. Where, are you aware of this? The Bible says uh, in Luke 22, 24, the Bible says uh, there that uh, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Oh, you can write it down. The first Lord's Supper was not some calm, serene, peaceful affair. Not at all. It was uh, divisive. It was filled with discord. It was filled with, with, with strife. It had the spirit of divorce in that setting. These men were, were, were arguing, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Is it any different today? The Marital Research Council informs us that 50%, 50%, 50% of all marriages, no, you got it wrong, not end in divorce. 50% of marriages are stuck in a rut. 50% of marriages are stuck in a dry spell, a love recession. 50% of all marriages are stuck in a semi-happy, semi-happy relationship. They're just strangers passing in the night. There's no intimacy. There's no transparency. They, they communicate on a very sub surface level that's protected. They don't go deep into one another's feelings. There's no real bonding. There's no real oneness. It's a marriage that for the sake of convenience, a marriage for the sake uh, of the kids, and uh, we come into a very extreme, very threatening, dangerous time when the kids leave the home. And these couples are empty nesters for the very first time. 
And she looks at him and he looks at her. Who are you? Highest points, highest degree of divorce the first five years and year 20 through year 30. The empty nest syndrome. Yes. Yes. Lifetime lovers. Jesus, being a lifetime lover, looked at his arguing, divisive, strife-filled, angry disciples. He needed to do something. He needed to do it quick. He only had 19 hours left to live. He needed to do something, not say something, do something that would set an example for all time, an unforgettable act that they would remember so that they would understand what real love, a lifetime love, is all about. Many of you are aware that the roads of Palestine in ancient times were filthy. They were filled with muck, mire, uh, uh, absolute filth, open sewage systems. People didn't wear shoes. People didn't have rubber boots. They wore, at the most, sandals. It was customary that feet would be washed before mealtime in any home. The Jews were meticulous about cleansing. That's why they were the most healthy people on the planet in ancient times. Jesus, while the disciples were arguing, Jesus got down on his hands and feet and began to wash feet and scrub between the toes. John was, the, was an eyewitness. John said in John chapter 13, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, Jesus said, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Look at verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 20, verse 26, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your what? Servant. If there's any word, if there's any theme, if there's any thought that I want you to take away from this message, if there's any word, if there's any theme, if there's any concept that will bring victory and happiness to your life, to your marriage, and to your home, it's that one word. Servant. Servant. How are you approaching your marriage relationship? How are you approaching your, your parent-child relationship, your family relationship? How do you approach your relationships with others? If you will approach with the perspective that you have been called and anointed, you have been ordained and destined to be a servant instead of a blood-sucking tick, I guarantee you a life filled with joy and happiness. And on that day of days, you will hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, it's not about us. It's not about our agenda. It's not about our needs and our greeds. It's about others. It's letting Jesus be Jesus in us so that we can be a servant for others. You see, lifetime lover marriages are marriages that, that honor the Lord. I, I, I want to give a, a note right now. This portion of the marriage, or this portion of the message is dedicated to married people. I want you to know that right up front. 
This is dedicated to people who are presently married, people who want to get married, people that undoubtedly will end up being married because stats tell us most people will end up getting married the second, even the third time. And uh, this, this is for those people that are, are sorry they got married. So uh, I think I pretty much have gotten everybody here this morning. Okay? Lifetime lover marriages only occur when husbands choose to serve their wives with real love. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And notice that Jesus made the church holy by the washing with water through the word. Husbands love your wives. It's not a choice. It's not an alternative. It's not an option. Husbands, love your wives. It's a command. It's a command. The sooner that you realize that, husband, the more joyful and the victorious and successful your life will become. It's not dependent upon how you feel. It's all dependent on what the command is. And the command is, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, are you in obedience to the Lord or not? That's the double portion that God wants to give you. If you'll be in obedience unto the Lord, He wants to give you blessing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of who? Themselves. Themselves. Man, you can't click on a computer. You can't turn on your TV and there's not some commercial on if you take this pill, if you get injected with this testosterone injection, that, man, you will be like this. <laughs> Men being lovers of themselves. Self-love, self-love is idolatry. Husband, self-love is uh, spiritual adultery. Self-love is satanic deception. Self-love will say to a wife, you can cook, you can clean my house, you can mend my socks, and, 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 and you can make the bedroom come alive. I want you to know that's not marriage, that's slavery. It's an abomination to God. It has no place in the family. Husbands, our example in loving our wives uh, is not Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, or George Clooney. Our example is Jesus, the servant. If anybody had a right to be the king of the universe, if anybody had a right to be the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus did. If anybody had a right for vengeance and getting back, Jesus did. But what did he do? He scrubbed between the toes. He took on the form of a servant. He demonstrated his love with a servant's heart. Husband, what does your wife need? Husband, do you know? When was the last time you went on a date? I call them quest of intimacy dates. When was the last time you went on a date and, and you held hands and you looked in each other's eyes and you shared where you're at right now in your life? You shared your hopes. You shared your fears. You shared your dreams. You shared your desires. You shared your wants and you shared your needs. When was the last time you spent time being real with your mate? 
I dare you, I challenge you to have a quest of intimacy date. Identify your spouse's needs. And irregardless of what's going down in the marriage and in the home, fulfill them because you're a servant of Jesus Christ who is out to demonstrate His love as a servant to your wife. And watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. Jesus washed His disciples' feet. Jesus didn't give nice words. Jesus didn't show pity and show His love through words or feelings. Jesus showed real love through demonstration, through action. He washed their feet. Why? Because it was their need. He washed their feet. It was a dirty job. Why? Because it was their need. What does your wife need? What does your wife need? Does she need help with the baby? Does she need help changing diapers? Does she need help washing the dishes? I don't wash no dishes. I don't use no towel washcloth. I'm a man. Listen, Rambo. If soap detergent is washing away your, your manhood, you need a hormone shot. You do need to order some testosterone pills. I, I mean it. Jesus spent time listening to his disciples because it was their need. Jesus spent time, you'll read over and over again, going away alone with his disciples. Why? It was their need. Jesus often fed the disciples whether it was through the multiplying the loaves and fishes or in his resurrected state, the Bible says he knelt down and cooked them breakfast. Your wife does not need to be in convulsions with a fever temperature of 106 degrees. It doesn't need to be your silver or golden anniversary for you to serve her breakfast in bed or at least take her out to breakfast. Because real love serves. Real love is out to fulfill the other. Real love satisfies the needs of the other. Real love is constantly putting out a radar. How can I be a blessing to you? How can I make your day uh, different and enjoyable? How can I encourage you? How can I lift you up? Uh, how can I be a blessing to you? Hear me, men. Husbands. I have never, ever found a home that's a happy home. I have never experienced a home that's a happy home where the husband is not loving his wife as Jesus loved the church. You show me a home where a husband is, has a servant's heart, a servant's love, and I'll show you a home that is filled with contentment, filled with joy, and filled with being a success. Being a success isn't money, prestige, popularity, or position, or power. Being a success is being a successful husband and a successful father. When you look back on the road called life, you can say, I have been found faithful. <laughs> I have been a servant. Uh, I have done it as unto the Lord. Uh, uh, J. Paul Getty was asked 
one of the first billionaires, he was asked what success is. And he said, success is being a loving husband. I'd give all my money up just to have one good marriage. You see, he had had five. He had had five. Servant's heart. What does your wife need? Does she want to go to the ballet? Does she want to go and see the nutcracker? I'll go to a monster truck rally, but I don't need no ballet. I don't need to see any prissies and tight tights jumping around. <laughs> Pray for Julie. Listen, buddy, you don't know the language of love. It's not about you. It's all about her. What, what does she need? What does she need? Don't be deceived. Serve her need. Do it as unto the Lord. And watch what God will do. Ephesians 5.28 says, He who loves his wife loves who? You know, I, I counsel guys, and they don't get it, they don't get it, they don't get it, they don't get it. Dummy, dummy, dummy. They have a, a blood-sucking tick mentality. But preacher, you don't understand what she doesn't do for me. What she doesn't be for me. Buddy, you don't know one thing about investment. Your wife, in one way, is a love investment. Every time you invest, every time you give her love and choice words of blessing, words of encouragement, every time you spend time listening to her and hanging on her every word and her every feeling, every time you demonstrate for her your love language, her love language, and lift her up in the Lord and help her around the house, every time you serve her with a servant's heart, you'll end up getting back at least double that which you invested. When you do for your wife, when you bless your wife, the blessing will come raining down upon your home. What's the best thing that a dad can do for his children? Love their mother. Love their mother. It's the very number one thing you can do for your children. You know, uh, but preacher, I do love her. Just gave her a vacuum cleaner at Christmas time. Hey, nothing com compares or replaces you tenderly telling her, I love you. Don't wait for nice feelings. Don't wait for her to do something for you. I mean, leave a note on the bathroom mirror when it's all misty. Let her discover it. Hey, roses, a dozen roses at Kroger, last time I checked, are eight bucks. It'll be the best $8 you have ever invested. And you will get blessed over and over and over and over again from your love investment as a servant of love, a lifetime lover. But my woman ain't the woman that I married. My wife, she just ain't the same girl. She's got some gray hair. Who gave it to her? Still remains, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, does she know it? Have you demonstrated it to her? Sometimes with words, sometimes with notes, sometimes with getaways and dates, sometimes just tenderly holding her close by the fireplace. If the bedroom's the final destination, okay. If not, 
okay. What are her needs? Are you serving her? You see, when God measures a man, God doesn't place the measuring tape around his biceps. God takes the measuring tape and puts it around his heart. His heart. Wifey, you can enjoy a, a lifetime of love by serving the true needs of your husband. What the Bible says are his needs. What's a woman's greatest fear? What's a woman's greatest fear? It's rejection. That's why God calls a man to love his wife, to meet that need. What's a man's greatest need? What's a man's greatest fear? Huh? How many men do you know that just can't wait for Valentine's Day because their wife might get them cards and flowers and chocolate? Hey, come on, let's be honest. We're wired differently. Men from Mars, women from Venus. We're different. So why do you keep treating each other? You know, some of the counseling problems that I, that I deal with, I discover that that man is treating his wife like another man. Treating her in the way of what men want, and she is treating him in the fashion of what women want. Until you understand how a woman has been designed and created by God as different from men. And wives, the same token with your husbands. You'll get nowhere in the, the lifetime love relationship in, in your home. Amen. It is said that, yes, men were created first, but they were the rough draft. Women are the masterpiece. <laughs> okay. Wives, as the masterpiece then, how do you need to love your husbands? Huh? How do you need to meet their needs? If a man's greatest fear is failure, that's why we read in Ephesians 5.33, wives, respect your husbands. It's not a popular teaching, but you'll find it in Proverbs, Psalms, the Old Testament. You'll find it in the Gospels. Peter said it and Paul said it. It's throughout the Word of God. Being submitted to your husband's leadership is encouraging him as the head of the home. Encouraging his leadership. Admiring him. Honoring him. Thanking him for what he does. Thanking him for the job that he works at. Thanking him for what he does around the house. Make him feel like a man. Oh yes, I love that old commercial. I love that old commercial. You remember that old commercial? I can't even remember the, 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 the product that... Uh, 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 he brings home the bacon, she stirs it up in a pan, and she makes him feel like a man. Yes, make him feel like a man. Encourage him. Instill within him the ability that he can swim the widest ocean, he can climb the highest mountain, that, that he can be able to uh, uh, take on the greatest hindrances, the greatest obstacles that he can overcome. Ladies, you, you will never understand the power of your words. Your words have the ability to emasculate and to lacerate. Or your words have the power to instill a confidence in your man that he can fight any battle, that he can overcome any giant, that he can take on any storm for the glory of God, to be all that he can be in Christ Jesus. Yes. But pastor, I can't trust my, 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 my husband's leadership. He just doesn't make 
good decisions. He married you, didn't he? He decided to get uh, wedded to you, didn't he? Huh? Huh? But my husband doesn't deserve my respect. He doesn't deserve my admiration. Then give it to him on credit. You do everything else at the store on credit. The scripture says over and over and over again about wives in their relationship to their husbands to do it as unto the Lord. I'll just tell you, honey, he's going to let you down every time. Your husband is not perfect. Wife, you have not married the perfect man, the perfect spouse, and neither has he. So stop looking for him to fulfill all of your needs. Only one was meant and, and came about on planet earth to fulfill all of our needs. Only one satisfies our soul. Only one was meant to be our prince of peace. Tell me his name. Jesus. Stop being a blood-sucking tick. In the name of Jesus. If you want God to do a miracle in your home environment, take a step of faith. Stop waiting for your husband to change. Take a step of faith. Unfold the hands of God and be a Bible wife. Until you're a Bible wife and follow God's guidelines, God cannot do a miracle in your home. His hands are bound. You have bound them up. But when you choose to be a Bible wife and go God's way and respect your husband, honor his leadership, encourage him, be his cheerleader, and let no one else be that substitute cheerleader. When you choose to be a Bible wife, even though your husband's an unbeliever or acting like an unbeliever, when you choose to be a Bible wife, you unfold the hands of God to move in your home in mighty ways, in a mighty miracle, and God's Spirit will deal with His Spirit. And that's where real change takes place. I'm talking about being a lifetime lover. How can we restore lifetime loving in our marriage? In the weeks ahead, I'm going to be giving you practical principles on how to restore. Some of you are caught in a rut. Some of you are stuck in a dry spell. Some of you are experiencing a love recession in your marriage. How can you restore it? I'm going to give you some homework between now and the next time I preach. Here's the homework. You ready? I challenge you. I dare you. Husbands, you take the lead in this. Take your wife out on a quest of intimacy date. Take your wife out on a quest of intimacy date and discover where is she at right now in her needs, in her desires, her dreams, her hopes, her fears. Listen to her. If you need to, write it down. Or put it in your smartphone. Wife, listen to your husband. Identify each other's needs and then fulfill them for the glory of God. Be a servant to the other and watch what God will do. Let me give you another homework assignment. I want you to read Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to read 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll give those to you again. I want you to read Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 7. 
1 Peter 3, these are the most major teachings in the New Testament on having a happy, successful marriage for the glory of God. Restoring love, happiness in a marriage and in a home. A small boy, a small boy was sent uh, to bed by, by his father, and it wasn't five minutes after the lights were out, and all of a sudden, dad and mom heard a little voice come from the bedroom. Dad! Dad, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? Dad yelled back, No, turn over, go to sleep. Lights are out. Go to bed. What happened five minutes later? Dad! Dad, I'm dying of thirst. Can I have a drink of water? I said, no. Now, if you ask again, I'm going to have to come in there and spank you. Five minutes later? Dad! Dad! I'm so thirsty. When you come in to spank me, will you bring a cup of water with you? Oh, parenting. Isn't it fun? Parents are called to be lifetime lovers for their children. Parents who are lifetime lovers of their children speak favor and blessing upon their lives. What is being spoken into the atmosphere of your home? If we were to camp out with you for a whole week in your home, what are you permeating the atmosphere of your home with? Countless homes across America poison the atmosphere of their home environment with their toxic tongue of criticism and cutdowns and even cursing. You'll never amount to anything as they curse their economic potential. You're an idiot, stupid, loser, you jerk. As their intellectual potential is cursed. I wish we'd never had you. As we curse their very existence. What are you speaking into your home environment? What are you speaking to the very woof and fabric of your kids' lives? Your words have power. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted. By your words you will be condemned. Condemned. What a powerful thing. Parents, your words can heal or they can hurt. They can bring curse or they can bring blessing. I am convinced after years of counseling, I am convinced, hear me in this, I am convinced that verbal abuse is far more harmful than even physical abuse. Pastor Hal and I do uh, damage control over even senior citizens that will hearken back 60, 70 years where their parents just unceasingly lacerated them uh, with their tongues, the toxic tongue at work in their lives. And they're still grieving over that. 
Oh, yes, I know. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never harm you. It's not true. It's simply not true. Every parent is an author. Every parent is writing a book. Every parent is publishing a book. And that book is your children. Your words have been written into their lives. Speak words of encouragement. Speak words of, of course, love. Speak words that say, you can succeed. You can make it. You are <laughs> smart. You are the top of your class. You are beautiful. You are important. You are born with a destiny. You are the very apple of God's eye. Lifetime loving parents realize too much love never spoils children. Rather, children are spoiled when we substitute presence for presence. Presence for presence. Two, two, brothers, two brothers could hardly wait for their dad to come home. They'd been waiting for this day for so long. The circus, the circus is in town. And, and they had a half day at school, and dad was going to take a half day at work. And sure enough, dad comes driving up the driveway and, and uh, ran in the house to change his clothes. And they were all excited, two, two young boys, two brothers, to go with their daddy to the circus. And then, and then all of of a sudden they heard the dreadful ring of his cell phone. Sure enough, it was work. It was the office. And his urgent response at the office was required. And mommy could see the boys just sink lower and lower and lower. And she was wondering what would she say to their boys as dad would go back to work. But then they heard Daddy say, Nope, it can wait till tomorrow morning. I've got something more urgent right here and now with my sons. And he stayed home. His wife, her eyes were wide with fear because he wasn't the boss. And she said, Honey, honey, the circus can always come back to town. The circus can, can, can always be later. He said, yes, I know. But childhood doesn't. They'll never be the same age again. Listen, a child is not likely to find a father in God if they don't find something of God in their father and their mother. We are a culture that is cursed by phantom fathers and missing moms. We are a culture that is cursed by phantom fathers and missing moms who allow their children to be babysat by the internet, by Facebook, by TV, and by violent, filthy video games. And it's no wonder, it's no wonder that we're seeing such a sad state of affairs in our nation as an indoctrination of demons is coming into the very lives and the precious souls of our children. You can fill your home with all kinds of plastic toys, but they are never a substitute for you, Dad, for you, you Mom, to be there 
to love, to encourage, to say, you can do it. You can be all that Jesus has called you to be. The greatest lifetime lover of all. Oh, would you agree with me? The greatest lover of all is not Romeo playing a guitar outside your bedroom window. Though I know some of you wives would like that. The greatest love of all is not some Hollywood heartthrob with a rose clenched between his teeth. The greatest lover of all is our Jesus who entered the world as a baby, who ministered with compassion, and who loved as a servant. If there's anything you can take away from this message, how are you being a servant today, right now, to your spouse, to your children, to one another. It's not about you. It's all about them. It's not being self-centered. It's being other-centered. It's not about following somebody else's footsteps in this life. It's about following Jesus and being like Jesus and being a servant. Jesus, the Bible says, the disciples were fighting and arguing and quarreling. Jesus poured water into a bowl just as He would pour out His blood, shed His blood upon the cross in just a few hours. And Jesus got down on His hands and knees and Jesus washed the feet of who? Who? The disciples, did He wash all of their feet? Think of whose feet He washed. He washed the feet of James and John, who the Bible says were the instigators of the quarrel, the fight, the angry division. They wanted to be on the right and the left of Jesus. Jesus washed their feet. The guys who destroyed his last supper, the Lord's Supper. Jesus washed the feet of Simon Peter, who in just a few hours would, would, would claim, I don't know the man. I don't know him. As Peter would deny his only Lord, Jesus washed Peter's feet. And then tell me, who else? Who else? Can you imagine? Jesus washed the feet of Judas, the very one who would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus got on his hands and knees and scrubbed between his toes, cleansed them, dried them. He served Judas, the very man who would betray him to death. Judas his friend, who had now become his traitor. Who's become your Judas in your life? Who's become your Judas in your life? One of the greatest acts of love that you will ever do is when you wash the feet of your Judas. Anybody can love somebody that loves them in return. Who's your Judas? I challenge you to be like Jesus. If Jesus can wash the feet of Judas, 
What can you do for your wife? What can you do for your husband? What can you do for your children? What can you do for others? Think of what Jesus has done for you in just a few hours as Jesus poured the water into the basin. He would pour out His life's blood for you and I. I don't know what's gone down in your, your life this past week. I don't know how you have fallen or how you have failed. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the blood will never lose its power. It still flows to the lowest valley. It still rises to the highest mountain. This blood, hallelujah, this blood will take you from the here and now and take you and sustain you throughout all of eternity. The blood poured out for you and I. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me, makes you white as snow. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 I don't care how you have fallen or have failed. His blood is greater. I don't care what gross sin that you have committed. His blood is greater. I don't care how Satan would like to whisper into your ears and say that God doesn't love you. God doesn't hear your prayers. I declare to you, plead the blood. His blood is greater. His blood is greater. God loves you. God forgives you. There's grace for the sinner. There's grace for you this morning because Jesus is a lifetime lover. As a lifetime lover, His love is passionate. His love is persevering. Jesus went the distance for the cross for you. He went it for me. And His love woos us. His love is passionate. He doesn't go through dry spells. He doesn't go through disallowance of feelings. Jesus doesn't experience withdrawal. Jesus doesn't give the silent treatment. In fact, your Bible and my Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I will sup with him. And I will be with him or her. Do you hear his passion? Do you hear his heartbeat? He's a lifetime lover. He's a lifetime lover. And he doesn't just say it with words. He doesn't just show pity with feelings. He demonstrates it. How will you know on that day of days that Jesus had demonstrated love for you and for me? You'll see it. Not just in his hands or his eyes, but you'll see it in his hands. Lastly, this morning, turn the slide, please. How are you responding to the greatest lifetime lover of all? The one with nail prints in his hands. Father, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask, oh, sweet lover of our souls, that you would walk up and down these aisleways. That you would wrap us up in your sweet love. Your arms of love. You would whisper into our ears, I love you. I love you. I love you. 
no matter who you are or where you are right now, no matter what you are or what you have done, He loves you. He loves you. He might not love your behavior. He might not love what you've done. But He loves you. Would you allow Him to heal you this morning with His healing love? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I'm ready to pray a very simple prayer. A prayer of, of salvation. A prayer of restoration. How many are here this morning you would like to be included in this prayer? You're not sure you're right with God. Or maybe you've disappointed the Lord. You have fallen. I want you to know with repentance there's grace. You're not sure you have a home in heaven and you want to be sure. Then I, I want to include you in this prayer. A prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in this prayer, if you would like to be included in a prayer of salvation that will change and rearrange you and give you a home in heaven and have the ability to bring a miracle to your marriage and your family, would you just lift your hand right now? Would you just lift your hand right now? If you'd like to say yes to Jesus, if you'd like to be included in this prayer, lift up your hand right now so that I can see it. Lift it up high. God bless you, sir. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more this morning? Precious Jesus, lift it up to Jesus. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Praise the Lord. How many more? Pastor, pastor, include me in your prayer. Precious Jesus. Everyone pray this prayer with me, especially you that have lifted up your hands. Pray it out loud with me right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. No excuses. No defense. I am a sinner. I've sinned. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sins. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for saving me. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. And amen.